The following episode contains adult content, violence, and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga, Episode 6, Ghosts of Moonlight Bay. Mr. Reed, it's time to come home. I feel my beast flex as I activate my vampiric sight and scan for any others obfuscated in the shadows. Harold Craven, what a pleasant yet unexpected surprise. Had I, had I known you were coming to town, I stall for time as I calculate how much force I'll need to toss this guy through the window. Can I get you something? That should give me a chance to get to one of the three guns I've stashed in this room. I know I said my Colt was rusting in a box somewhere, but let's call it a metaphor. You wanted a single night to attend your sire's funeral. Entirely understandable. Prince Walsh was sympathetic. I advised him not to grant it because, let's face it, when we look at you, stable is not the first word that springs to mind. I just need a little more time, that's all. What he said, he said, Craven, Titus knows what's at stake. He knows we have new autarchs in the city. He's aware of the danger presented by the Bay's continually growing population of Anarchs. He also knows his debts and obligations. Very substantial, very non-negotiable debts to me. You don't need to remind me of my debts. I'm thrilled. Thrilled you made me right. I enjoy job security. What I do not enjoy is having to schlep my ass up to this cow pasture full of townies they call a city because some Malkavian can't read a calendar. I understand the situation. Good. Good. Then grab your bags, young man, and let's be on our way. I... I can't do that. Come come again? We must Must be all the noise from someone thinking they have a say. A few more nights, that's all I need. A few more nights? Oh, okay, sure, we can do that. Uh, Give me a second to grab my pen. Mr. Reed has decided to be a boon breaker. Let me try that again. I would like to purchase another week of Prince Walsh's sympathy and patience. I'm listening. For an additional two minor boons. Two minor boons. And a minor boon to you for the inconvenience I have caused. Noted. For your sake, I strongly advise you to expedite your affairs. Of course. Please let me know if there's anything else I can do to help you on your way. Have a pleasant evening. Yeah. Thanks. Fuck! Focus. I have to figure this out. Let's start with the timeline. If you haven't been taking notes, grab a pen. Sheriff Everhart invites Aaron McKenna to act as a deputy or scourge to hunt thinbloods. Lawrence is concerned and reels her in. Aaron pushes back. She's frustrated. He keeps pushing. Eventually, Aaron throws a tantrum in front of the primogen and prince and ends up owing everyone a bunch of boons. Aaron then turns around and sets fire to the Sunrise Park Recreation Center, 
which Lawrence owned. Mortal Janitor dies in the collateral damage, and Lawrence is, by all accounts, furious. Two nights after, Marlo Voigt hosts a costume party at Club Neptune. Aaron arrives early, socializes, and then makes a call and leaves distressed. Lawrence arrives shortly after she leaves. Aaron then returns to the party closer to midnight, at which point Lawrence and Aaron leave together. According to Lysander Valentine, the two of them step into the alley and get into an argument. He comes around the corner, sees Aaron and Lawrence fighting over the shotgun. Aaron probably uses celerity to get to the other side of Lawrence before tossing him into the back of the SUV, which means the rear door had to already be open and shoots him twice with Dragon's Breath rounds. She chucks the murder weapon into the fire now spreading through the vehicle and kicks the door shut. Lawrence, the weapon, and the SUV burn. Lysander sees Aaron vanish. Lysander and Mendoza also confirm that Aaron's outfit was bloody before her fight with Lawrence. Now, it's roughly a 20-minute drive between Club Neptune and Maya's house. According to Aaron, she first arrived to find a distraught Maya who told Aaron someone matching Lawrence's description broke into her house. Aaron's memory goes blank afterward. The theory is that during her fugue, she frenzied and killed Maya. Then she drives to Club Neptune where she kills Lawrence. And afterward, she walks roughly eight miles back to Maya's, which could take anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours, depending on if she's running with celerity or just walking. The sheriff tracks her to Maya's and places her into custody. First theory. What Aaron said happened, happened. She murdered two people while under the fugue, and is guilty. Second theory. Someone used mind control and manipulation to make Aaron think she killed two people while in a fugue. Malkavians, Tremere, and Ventru generally can control someone's actions and alter their memories. Ezra was conveniently out of town the night of, and regardless of how unlikely it is, did have a motive. More power over the clan and higher position in the city. But he also has an alibi. Mendoza was treating Aaron for her feud, so would know about her states of mind. He was at the party and has no apparent motive. Then there's Marla. She's a real pain in the ass and can clearly control minds even if the talent isn't native to Toridor blood. But what would be the motive? Ruining her own party? We know she stayed at the club after Lawrence was killed to make calls and clean up the masquerade. Meanwhile, Edmund Glass had all the cameras surrounding Club Neptune turned off that night. Sure, protect the masquerade, but he also wasn't at the party and he wasn't at the funeral. As a Ventru, he's an expert at controlling the minds and wills of others. So yeah, I'm leaning toward Glass as the prime suspect. But does he have a motive? And there is still one primogen I haven't talked to yet. And that's the primogen for the Nosferatu. Zelda. The South Shore Outlet Mall was supposed to provide village-style upscale outlet shopping to boost the local economy. And in 2006, sure, real estate was a solid investment. They broke ground in 2007, but when the Great Recession hit, the money dried up, construction stopped, and squatters moved in. Now, 
The South Shore Outlet Mall is like some post-apocalyptic skid row. The addicts took over the food court, while the dealers and fences turned storefronts into a black market retail experience. You can still find Gucci, Chanel, and Prada at deep discount prices. They're just hookers instead of handbags. Z? And the Nosferatu have made it their kingdom. If you know anything about the Nosferatu, then you know they knew I was here before I parked the car. Information is as vital to them as blood. And with their unparalleled ability to cloak themselves, they make perfect spies. Which means they're either making me sweat it out or deciding if I'm worthy of being granted an audience. I head toward a counter with a graffitied sign above it. It once read Information Center, only now information has been replaced with the word gossip. Zelda. Titus. Ah! Christ on a bicycle, don't sneak up on a person like that. Zelda has exchanged her widow's weeds for a smartly cut suit and long bolo tie. She has a cowboy hat pulled low across her eyes. I was wondering if you could tell me something. Something? What? Ask stupid questions, get stupid answers. I'm trying to find out what happened to Lawrence. Oh, he died. I'm aware. Well, then you know what happened. <sighs> That's not what I mean. Then ask me an intelligent question or pay me for my time. All right. Were you at Club Neptune the night my sire died? No, I wasn't. Were any of the Nosferatu? No. Did anyone have a reason to kill Lawrence? Yes. Who? Oh, if only I could recall. My memory is just a bit hazy. <sighs> How many boons will it cost me to jog it? Don't want a boon, want a story. I want to know what happened in Moonlight Bay. What keeps you there and why? I tell you, and you tell me who wanted my sire dead. Yes. There's no telling how many Nosferatu surround me. I take a deep breath. <sighs> While pushing the last of the Anarchs out of Port Saga, things got complicated with Lawrence. Those Anarchs took a lot of my humanity with them when they left. Lawrence wanted to rehabilitate me, but I was comfortable with who I had become. The instincts of the beast felt good. Fight, kill, feed, keeps unlife simple. And he said, when the carrot doesn't work, it's time to switch to the stick. That's when he ended our living situation and told me I could come home when I had reclaimed what I had lost. Seeing him at court or in passing, it was... It wasn't easy. He was polite and never shunned me, but I suddenly realized I didn't have much reason to stay. So, when Prince Walsh needed help in Moonlight Bay, I volunteered my coterie without consulting any of them. But because I gave my word, Aaron, Sasha and Sparrow stuck with me. We went to the bay. Two years passed. 
two years of blood and ash. I became cruel, and the crueler I became, the more Sparrow doubted what we were doing. Then, one night, Sparrow walked in on me torturing this Anarch kid for the joy of listening to him scream. That scream was like... like my pain made manifest. It was a relief. Disgusted? Sparrow crossed the street. He told the Anarchs everything. Every Camarilla Haven and holding he knew. They launched a coordinated attack and hit us as hard as they could. Sasha died in that fight. By the time an armistice was signed, the Anarchs held most of the city, leaving the cam with a single burrow. And Aaron came back here. But you stayed. Yes. Why? Walsh found out that Sparrow was the one who betrayed us. I was leading the coterie. He determined I was responsible. And I'm being held responsible until I fulfill my debt of service. For ten years. How many more years do you have left on your debt? Four. Hmm, thank you. Zelda lifts her hand and a folder appears. Primogen Glass owns a security company. I heard. This security company has compiled a list of names and locations for him. The worn folder has a single sheet of paper with a short list of names and addresses. Maya's home is at the top of it. Is this what I think it is? Potentially. Why would Glass need a target list? Because... Glass hated Lawrence. He told me they were friends. He lied. Why would he do that? Glass is a Ventru primogen in a city ruled by a Ventru prince. But Prince Hale's loyalty was to Lawrence, her friend and coterie mate, not to her younger clan mate. When confronted with city decisions, Hale almost always deferred to Lawrence and never to Glass. As a result, Glass lost opportunities for advancement, reputation, money. He grew bitter. Bitter enough to kill? We are damned, Titus. We are all bitter enough to kill. I spend the next two nights tracking down the names and addresses on Zelda's list. It includes almost every Malkavian in the city, if not their havens, and the places they frequent, or the homes of those they care about, the people they love, the people that keep them grounded in their humanity. You see, when you're a vampire for long enough, you forget what it's like to be a person. Let's just say becoming an undead creature of the night has a way of changing your ethics. So, it's important to maintain these relationships, these threads tying you to your humanity. Because as they get cut, and you forget what it was like to care about someone, it becomes easier and easier to see people as blood bags and red meat ready for slaughter. Do enough slaughtering, and your bestial instincts take over. It becomes kill or be killed. The thirst for blood is insistent and unquenchable as it pounds in your ears. 
And eventually, when you indulge the beast for long enough, you're simply not you anymore. You disappear. And in place of you is a monstrous thing. A monstrous thing with fangs and a voracious appetite. I know that's what Lawrence was trying to save me from. He didn't want me falling over that edge. The list also has Lawrence's condominium, where I'm currently staying. It includes the Sunrise Center, or what's left of it, Ezra's Haven, the home of his mortal niece, Aaron's Haven, and Maya's home. The list even includes the music store where I used to work, and the facility where my mother currently resides. This is the kind of list you put together when you're going to war. message from Marlowe. I wonder if Constance came through. The Bebop Bar doesn't compare with the jazz clubs of New York, Chicago, or New Orleans, but it holds its own. I used to play here when I was in college, when this neighborhood was full of theaters and art houses. The theaters and art houses are gone now, replaced by boutique stores and towering apartments. The only reason the Bebop survives is probably because of a Toreador. Music captures the resonance of life. There are melodies for every mood. Sometimes you need to play solo, and other times you want to feel the harmony of a band. When you're lost, there's comfort in the predictability of 4-4 time. Gershwin had it right when he said, Life is a lot like jazz. It's best when you improvise. Hey, where were you? Nowhere. Seriously? This a Malkavian thing? This place conjures a lot of memories for me. This club? Port Saga. Ghosts around every corner. Tell me about them. <laughs> nice try. I think I would have made a good Toreador. Do you know? I play piano. Not like these guys, but I was, I was good. Precise. It was very, very precise. Not all Toreador are artists. Some of us are just pretty. Some of you are both. <laughs> Is that so? I mean, yeah. I thought you liked men. I like everything. Her cherry red lips pull into a smirk. I think I would have made a good Sadite. I think they're called the Ministry now. Everyone is going through a rebranding. Banu Hakim, Akada, Ministry. The clan formerly known as? I'm not into the snaky stuff, but I have been known to corrupt a few people now and then. I'll bet. Was that a hint of judgment I detected? Not at all. Oh, you're a terrible liar. So superior, Mr. Reed. What makes you think you're above all this? Better than this? Better than what? Camarilla society, the game, lying, scheming, corrupting. I don't know. I guess I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. Besides, aren't you the one in search of truth? <laughs> well, there's truth and then there is survival. And survival is knowing how to play the game. In kindred society, the truth is... Well, the truth is whatever the most powerful vampire in the room says is the truth. A Justicar says the white orchid is red. 
You better believe we all say it's red. But is that how any of us should have to live? Is it good enough to survive? Not for nothing. But the only reason Aaron is dead is because someone more powerful than Hale wasn't in the room to... Delivery for Madame Aperture and Mr. Oboe. Oh, hey, Splash House. Splash House? <laughs> Courtesy of Miss Fade. Thank you. Goodbye. What's the deal with Splash House? Nothing, nothing. My, my. If vampires could blush. I bury my attention in opening the envelope. Inside is a classic micro-cassette recorder and a card. Sermon from St. Michael's Church. Make no mistake, evil exists in the world. Not the evil of an action or that which triumphs when good men and women do nothing. Though that is a missed opportunity to do good work and show how we are saved by grace. That voice. Nor do I speak of Satan as he whispers temptation from the fiery furnace of hell. I speak of the evil walking this earth alongside us. His demons sent to prey upon the weak and helpless. Demons that corrupt and devour those who do not resist them. You must be ever vigilant because this evil wears a human face and can take human form. But there are signs to look for when identifying Satan's minions. Pale skin, cold to the touch. The inability to eat or drink the bounty God provides us. You will never see them in the daylight, and they only come out when the sun has set. If you encounter such evil, do not attempt to drive out the demon. Do not engage in conversation or questions. Alert your priest immediately. If your fears are unfounded, God will forgive. But if you reveal one of these fiends, then you will safeguard the flock. And God, with thunder and fire, will smite this evil from the face of the earth. Is it him? No, no, it can't be. As you venture out into the world, especially at night, let your armor be God's grace, and your weapon be your faith. Amen. Well, I'm sold. I'll contact Usher, get some eyes on this place. Yeah. Hey, you okay? You look like you've just seen a ghost. I'm fine. Sure. Okay. Well, sit tight for a night or two, wait for my courier. I know you don't want credits, but I'll make sure you get it. And I'll make sure you're there when we go after this guy, okay? Yeah. Check for monsters by the door. Walking into St. Michael's Church might be the dumbest thing I've ever done. But I have to know if this priest is who I think he is. And if so, I'm in deep, deep, complicated trouble.
Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga. Created by Rachel J. Wilkinson, with voice performances by Dayin Geist, Sean Patrick Judge, Riley Silverman, Rachel J. Wilkinson, Ken Pickering, and Janika Rector. Portions of this podcast are the copyrights and trademarks of Paradox Interactive AB and are used with permission. All rights reserved. For more information, please visit worldofdarkness.com. And I really feel stuck in the